What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Big Friday episode, as we do a quick look back at Thursday, where we were victimized by a blown save for the first time in a while. Then it's a split in the NBA, but three more plays for Friday. Then we put on our pocket protectors for a deep dive autopsy of the first round series in the NHL, using our analytics to find out what the series odds should have been based on how they actually played out on the ice, and what does that mean for Vancouver and Montreal. Time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and we begin the show as we always do with our Don't Look Back in Anger segment. But we're going to start it. Uh, big show today, by the way. Really excited about it. And we're actually going to start it in baseball. Yeah. And why are we going to start in baseball? Really just because I want to get baseball out of the way because I'm excited to get to all the hockey stuff that we're going to talk about. Uh, don't Look Back in Anger. Uh, it's kind of about looking back at bad beats and kind of moving on from there. Yesterday's baseball stuff went three and four. It looked like it was four and three for a winning day, and we get a blown save with Cincinnati and St. Louis. Cincinnati up 4-2 in the ninth, gives up three runs, and just like that, our winning baseball day turns into a small losing baseball day. Uh, Started off well, catching Houston at plus money in a raucous affair in Colorado, aren't they all? And the sort of most enjoyable one for our purposes are, is our Tampa Bay Rays getting uh, three straight now from the Yankees uh, and plus money at about plus 150, 160, something along those lines as, uh, as they send out the opener and get themselves another win over the Yankees and makes their division chances a lot better. So all in all, that's sort of the big complaint. By and large, sort of depending on your accounting practices, uh, we either had a small losing day or a big winning day. And what do I mean by that? Well, from a game-to-game standpoint, um, you know, the actual plays that we made as far as basketball and baseball are concerned ended up slightly, because of that blown save, slightly in the red. That being said, if we're talking about the two hockey games that I gave out that both won that I readily admitted, I don't have game bets on because I have series bets on them. And obviously those series bet cat, you know, bets cash. And so from an accounting standpoint, if you just if we're just talking about money won yesterday, then yes, of course, big wins for both of those uh, series that helped the ledger overall. So no complaints uh, other than with the Reds bullpen situation. And again, you know, can't reiterate it enough, especially after the week four review from yesterday. Bullpens really, really matter. And as much as we're trying to handicap uh, starting pitchers and, you know, getting leads through six, seven innings here, if you have a really bad bullpen like the Reds seem to have, you're going to be in the line of fire right up until that last out. Uh, Moved money around in basketball. Uh, The big bet of the day, um, the under in the Milwaukee and Orlando series in that game two. We saw, what, a 37, 38 point first quarter. And it did look like we might find ourselves in a deep sweat after a 69 point, nice, 69 point second quarter. 
And, you know, at that point, you know, halftime, you're like, really? Is 30 more points in the second quarter? Um, but that ends up getting there relatively easily in the fourth quarter. And that was our big bet for the NBA. Good news is the big bet wins. The bad news is the two small bets that we had lose. Um, you know, tough to apologize for the Thunder loss as, you know, we get a subpar very subpar through three quarters game from James Harden. But, you know, the Thunder just not able to pull away as they did have a lead in that third quarter. And to be honest with you, that showed me a lot from a Houston Rockets standpoint. And I talked with Ted Ballantyne on Tuesday about how I just, you know, I'm done with the Rockets and I have been since that uh, Houston San Antonio series from a few years back but they might be suckering me back in, right? And it might, and it, it's not, it's never as simple as, oh, you know, they were without Westbrook, they, you know, Harden didn't have a very good game and they still won. So what would they do when those two guys come back? But it is, you know, it still exists, right? That, that sentiment still exists. What I really liked is how into it their bench was. And, you know, I, this isn't an original point on my part, but, you know, I heard, I was listening to a podcast and the guy mentioned, you know, for all of the talk about the trailblazers this year in the bubble and sort of, you know, all of the, how well they've played, people have sort of ignored or forgotten or didn't really notice that the Rockets were really into everything in the bubble, right? You had the Clippers and the Lakers are sort of phoning it in, right? Over on the East, you know, Milwaukee didn't seem to be all that into it. And the Raptors did, right? So we sort of looked at Portland as being this team that was super into it and Toronto that was this team that was super into it. But we kind of forgot that, you know, and maybe it's because they were sort of had guys in and out of the lineup, obviously Westbrook missing time, Harden sitting out a few games here or there. But when those guys were in, they they really gave a bleep, right? Like they really cared. And to me, they're, you know, obviously pretty clearly going to beat the Thunder at this point. And this might be one where it doesn't go, you know, very long here. Chris Paul, a minus 30-something yesterday. Yikes. Um, So, you know, when we look going forward here, as we were sort of searching for that team, right? If 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 we're looking around going like, "Ah, I don't love the Bucks, I don't love the Lakers, even the Clippers, right? They're very vulnerable, and we're going to get to that in a second. Man, like, is it the Rockets? Is this the time? And then you go, okay, well, they rely a ton on shooting. But what have we seen from this bubble? And what we've seen is that the shooting is way up, right? The scoring is way up. And so this might end up being the perfect place for the Rockets, right? This literal, you know, ecosystem of a bubble where their shooting prowess can, you know, is, isn't affected by home and road crowds and all of that ex- excess energy, right? Because you're never going to shoot better than you do in practice in an empty gym, right? It's when things get kind of chaotic around you where nerves and adrenaline really kick in. But if you can stay at a level sort of even keel, you're going to shoot a lot better. And if you're looking at a team who's just firing up record, literal record amounts of three-pointers, and that's how they win, right? That's a team that is a team that we want to be probably backing the rest of the way. And so, you know, I don't know who they're going to end up facing here in the next round. But, 
you know, hard to find a team right now that I think that the Rockets can't beat, especially sort of as much as the, you know, the Lakers got it done yesterday. And again, hopefully you were on Twitter uh, as I hopped on Lakers minus two and a half for the first quarter. Um, These first quarter bets in game twos are extremely lucrative. I think we've got, it's a seven and one uh, situation right now through obviously uh, the eight games, the eight game twos so far. And we'll, you know, obviously look to do that maybe throughout the rest of the postseason. Of course, we have seven more series where we'll be able to try and take advantage of that. Uh, So yeah, I mean, really impressive from the Rockets. Like what, you know, what, what really more can you say? Um, other than that. And then, of course, our other loss in the NBA. Um, again, I you know, got another win there with, with Portland and, uh, and the Trailblazers. Uh, but our other loss was the Indiana first half. And so well, this one was a ben- essentially a coin flip with about two and a half, three minutes to go. Tie game and shot clock running down. And Jimmy Butler hits this like fadeaway three-pointer at the buzzer. And it goes, and then, you know, two possessions later, he comes down, gets an and one where he's, like, falling down, and the ball goes in the basket. And, of course, at that point, that's too much to make up uh, late in our in our segment, right, the first half. Uh, the one thing that at least, you know, is a bummer because if they take that lead, right, we get an opportunity to bet Miami on the second half. And, of course, Miami pulls away in the second half. And so, in a way, at least we didn't, you know, we were going to lose that unit if we had taken Indiana for the full game, which it's, you know, certainly was tempting in a way. Uh, And we tried to get it down to as little as possible. But again, that's another game where we should have been on that first quarter, not the first half, because Indiana actually won the first quarter. And again, these, you know, sort of teams that are overmatched, the the fewest amount of minutes, if we can make a bet on them for the fewest amount of minutes, that's going to sort of have a better chance of catching than a full gamer so yeah all in all just moved a bunch of money around in the nba there uh as for the action in the nba for friday night do have a couple of plays here and i think i'm going full bore into the jazz at this point right um nothing right now for toronto and brooklyn that total has come down off of where it was when we won with it and the under in that first game, um, obviously Toronto back up to an 11 point favorite here. Uh, you know, again, this game coming right down, of course, to shooting as pretty much every other game does. If the Raptors shoot like they did in game one, they'll cover that easily. If, you know, they shoot like they did in game two, uh, and they won't, right? I would sort of lean to the Raptors playing pretty well in this game. But again, with the adjusted total downwards, I don't necessarily know what that means for an actionable bet. Right, I think you know maybe first quarter Raptors, but you're going to get a line where it's like minus four, minus five, something along those lines. Haven't actually checked it, but again, nothing, no real play for me there. Uh, And then, like I said, the Jazz plus one and a half might as well just take the money line here. Um, You know, grab the series price. Talked about that after game one, Uh, and then Boston and Philly already made that bet. Talked about that on Twitter. Minus four and a half open uh, was nuts. Uh, I went full two units on that. I will wait and try to maybe take a unit off of uh, that bet with a Philly plus six, plus seven, see where the line ends up. And maybe just, you know, outside shot for a middle there. Uh, if Philly has any heart 
right? They come out and they play a good first quarter. Uh, they won the first quarter against one of those seven teams that won the first quarter after going down 0-1 in the series. Uh, but again, over the course of 48 minutes here, there's just too many things that Boston can do to defend Embiid. And nobody else that we've seen on Philly that's able to step up and you know make a difference, right? Make up for the fact that Boston's coming at Philly with this three-headed monster, uh, and they're looking to get this series done as soon as possible too. With you know some injuries here to Kemba Walker, uh, you know he's a little bit banged up, obviously questionable to start the series, and so you know Brad Stevens is aware of that he's going to want as much rest for him as possible, especially in this bubble where rest is at a premium because we're cranking games out and series out here as quickly as we possibly can, which is such a nice change of pace for the NBA, which just completely loses steam to start their playoffs when, you know, teams have three days off in between games. It's pretty brutal. Uh, and then the Clippers and the Mavs. Again, I'm pretty much all Mavs here at this point, right? Again, Clippers get that win in the first game, um, but to me, didn't really even do enough to pull ahead as much as we would have liked to seen them pull away once Porzingis went out, and of course Dallas came back and got the win that we talked about. Now I'm I've shifted here, and again maybe it's sort of a recency bias, and you have to kind of again be aware of your biases. Uh, and of course recency is the biggest one, and it's you know because Dallas won that game, Newt, you know, do I now believe that they win that series? Maybe a little bit, you know, maybe a lot. And, you know, taking five points, I will happily do so, right? I'm not sure that I'm not necessarily going to grab the money line in this one uh, because I just think that there's a, you know, at least a decent percentage chance that the Clippers win this game, but it's by only a couple of points at the end, right? This could be very well the most competitive game in the entire series uh, when it comes to sort of last second type action. So we'll take the five points and, um, you know, because, we, again, we believe that Dallas can win this game, and I'm starting to believe that they can win this series, right? Again, I was a believer that they could get two games from the Clippers, but the defense of the Clippers was going to stifle them. And, you know, obviously through the first two games, that hasn't been the case. It's one thing if they had split and they had been sort of lower scoring, a bit scrappier type of, you know, games. But they haven't been, right? The first one barely stayed under a 230-point total. We talked about that ad nauseum. And then I steered clear the second game because I didn't want to mess with it. And sure enough, that flew over. And so we're not getting what we wanted to see from the Clippers defensively. We got what we wanted to see in Game 2 from the Bucks defensively, right? And that's, you know, why we cashed that bet, right? And, you know, the Bucks ended up covering anyway, but that under bet for the Bucks and the Magic was essentially a bet on the Bucks to bounce back without having to deal with late game shenanigans, of which there were some in that game, both teams just running the clock out with 40 seconds left. And, you know, at any point, Orlando could have just gone in for a layup and gotten the cover. But I digress. So those are the plays for uh, Friday's action. Obviously, follow on Twitter for the weekend stuff, Saturday and Sunday. You know what the weekend is. At um, Authentic, by the way. Hopefully, you know that by now. So let's get into our hockey deep dive, number stuff, nerdiness, however you want to call it. And if you don't love this stuff, that's totally fine. Um, thanks for listening up until this point. And, you know, we'll, we'll be back on Monday. 
if you do and you want to sort of learn how to get better at this from, you know, not just a win-loss standpoint, but from an evaluation of your bets standpoint and understanding what's really going on in these games, then this is sort of the segment for you, right? Because we get to look back at what has happened over the course of six series and two other series that have five games each of data on them. And, you know, while we don't have a time machine, right? We don't have, we can't Biff Tannen the Almanac, you know, this whole deal and go back and go, okay, knowing what we know now, how would we have bet this series or can we make, you know, changes to our bets pre-series? Uh, you know, we can't do that. We don't have the time machine. But, you know, we should still look back at it to try to figure out where we were right and where we were wrong. And if we were wrong, what went wrong and how we can change that going forward, right? And so what we're going to do, and here's the framework for the autopsy. We want to know, we would love to know before the series start, but we want to know not who scored more goals in the series, right? Because there's a ton of outlier scenarios in there and I would point to right off the bat Robin Leonard headbutting a puck into his own net right from a predictive standpoint that was unpredictable to say the least so he goes and he does that and it'll show up in the numbers here sort of the you know inequality of something like that happening relative to everything else that's happening in the series. And so we can't predict that going forward. I'm not going to be able to tell you, oh, in the next round, Andre Vasilevsky is going to headbutt a puck into his own net, and we need to handicap this series around that, right? All we can do is we can figure out how most goals are scored, right? And that's via either the power play or via scoring chances five on five and creating those scoring chances, right? So the more scoring chances that you create, the more goals you're going to score. The more power plays that you get, the more goals you are going to score. Now, from a predictive standpoint, we talk about how you can't predict how many power plays a team is going to get and what in a short series of, you know, literally any series, right, is too short of a sample size to for it to make a difference from a predictive standpoint. And we talk about, yeah, sure, if a, you can promise me a team's going to score 50% of the time on the power play, I'll happily factor that in beforehand. There's just no way for anybody to prove that, right? What we can sort of figure out, though, is what the run of play from a scoring chance situation five on five is going to be. And there's always going to be more scoring chances, high danger scoring chances in a game than there are power plays, especially in the playoffs when there are less power plays than during the regular season. And all of that stuff is just rehashed stuff from the previews that you've probably already heard. So what we're going to do is you're going to look back and go, okay, series A, let's talk about it right off the bat, Vegas and Chicago. We want to know, okay, after... All is said and done, what was the discrepancy with the five-on-five? And then what was the general expectation of that series from a percentage standpoint, right? And so let's just make it easy and start sort of big picture here. Vegas, based on all of the numbers, was going to win that series 63% of the time, right? Based on the numbers that they put up. And that's an expected goals for of 13.39 versus Chicago's expected goals for of 6.88, right? That's a pretty big discrepancy, right? And that actually turn, you know, results in a 66% chance 
right? Just based on the five on five play. Where Vegas actually hurt themselves was in special teams. And so, you know, going in, their special teams advantage was a small one, as pretty much all of these are. Again, very unpredictable and sort of low margins from a predictability standpoint. They were going to have an advantage of 0.16 goals per game uh, over Chicago. Right, not a huge advantage. How did it end up working out? Well, they got about 2.38 versus 2.31 for Chicago over the course of that series. And of course, that's pretty much negligible, right? They had a slight advantage based on how many power plays that they got. Now, they were actually subpar on the power play, scoring just that one final power play goal in game five. So no goals on the power play throughout. There were a couple of shorthanded goals for each side, but long story short, they literally, both teams broke even. The the teams tied, essentially, on special teams, right? So there was no advantage gained whatsoever uh, in reality here. And so all that was, you know, gained essentially was the five on five but because Vegas you know didn't take advantage of their special teams it dipped their percentage chance of winning where they only had an expected goals of 15.78 versus nine for Chicago right and you can even just do some quick math right 15.78 rounded up to 16, 16 to 9, right? Obviously, that gives you a percentage chance of about 64%, right? Once you times each number by four. So at about 64% chance, or in this case, 63.2% chance, what does that mean from an odds standpoint? Well, that extrapolates out to a plus 172, minus 172, right? Remember our true number, right? Our true number is the odds based on the percentage probability of one team winning. So a 63% chance of winning equals a 172 true number, right? So that means if you can get Vegas at minus 172 or better, you're bet you're getting a good bet, you know, obviously relative to how close that number is, right? A, a pretty and a fair bet would be minus 172 and a good bet would be obviously anything lower than that. On the flip side, Chicago plus 172 is a fair bet. And anything above that is really good value. And that is sort of what we talked about before the series started. Like we knew that Vegas's number here at minus 340, there was minus 400 on CoolBet. And Chicago's number of plus 270, plus 300, like anything along those lines. That was a bet that 9 out of 10 times I would say had to be made for Chicago, just based on a completely, you know, value-related standpoint, right? Like, that number was too high. It was always too high, even in our original projections. Now, you say, well, what was the original projections? Well, oddly enough, my original projections were 63.5. And so, my original projections actually ended up, and, you know, this is, again, The math is all there. You know, (laughs) we're showing our work here. And it certainly won't be the case for the rest of the series necessarily. But to be that accurate with projecting the probability of the team winning is really surprising. But it's also kind of comforting too, right? That being said, you know, when we talked about making a bet, how does it translate to actually winning money, right? So we can be accurate uh, down to literally the you know 
percentage of a percentage here. But it doesn't do you any good if you go, well, because, you know, I think Vegas is a 63.5% favorite here and the numbers indicating like a 76% favorite. And so that's good value to bet on Chicago. You know, you still need to win the bet at the end of the day. And so, you know, we'll never know because they're not going to play this series a thousand times to know whether Chicago would have won it 36 times, 37 times, 50 times, who knows, right? But based on the information that we know after the fact, again, based on scoring chances and power plays given, regardless of power play success, based on what we know from those five games, we know that Chicago would have won it 37% of the time, or at least that's the way we handicap things. And sure, it was a five-game series, and that was you know pretty much right, right where the most likely result was, right? If you had said, you know, everybody just pick that series and in how many games, I think the most frequent response would probably be Vegas in five, right? Vegas is going to win comfortably, but Chicago is going to get a game. Strangely enough, Chicago got, a, got the one game where they probably played the worst, which was strange, of course, but, you know, that is what it is. And so the one other thing that I want to mention from a sort of metric interesting number standpoint is the five on five expectation, right? The expect expected goals based on scoring chances and high danger chances and the percentages therein resulted in Vegas expecting to get 13.39 goals and Chicago 6.88 goals. Well, Vegas scored 13 goals at even strength. So right dead on the number. And Chicago scored eight. Now you're saying that's not on the number. They scored eight goals. They were expected to get 6.88. So rounded up to seven. Well, again, remember the goal that Leonard headed into his own net? That wasn't a high danger scoring chance. That isn't a goal that could be tracked into the expected goals, right? Even the shooter wasn't expecting a goal in that circumstance. So we're looking at literally that one goal making the difference between it being you know, seven or eight. And if it would have, you know, if the header works and doesn't go into the net, we're looking at seven goals, even strength for Chicago on, you know, an expected goal rate of 6.88, right? So a very, everything really played out the way we thought it was going to. Um, but because obviously Vegas was a 63% chance, even in our numbers, obviously they're going to win this series three out of five times, right? Or a little bit better than that. So, you know, almost two out of three times. So they ended up winning, and that makes total sense. And in a lot of ways, we kind of dodged a bullet by not betting on Chicago because we at least did some sort of personal, you know, anecdotal, I kind of call it, handicapping around it, where it was like, you're going to have to really show me something here, Chicago, from a numbers standpoint for me to back you here, even at a price that was and was proven to be really good value. So if you did bet on Chicago, you at least sort of have that evaluation of, you know, I bet on something that was going to happen 37% of the time and I was getting a 24% price. And that's obviously a good thing, right? You want to bet on something that happens more often than the price gives it credit for. So uh, long story short, everything kind of worked out kind of how we expected it to uh, and a bullet was dodged from a losing standpoint. Um, probably should just get into the other one that was a really heavy uh, you know, favorite underdog circumstance, and that's Colorado and Arizona. And so 
you know, famous would be not the right word, but famously, I gave Arizona a chance to win this series. And again, I say I as though I made up the numbers. One thing that we have to remember here is that I don't make up these numbers. The numbers are the numbers, right? Who would you rather rely on for your handicapping, right? Somebody who actually has concrete black and white numbers that they're backing something up with or their own personal opinion and bias based on, you know, history or, you know, their own sort of brand recognition or whatever, right? So that's up to you to kind of make that decision on sort of, you know, for me, it's almost, it's worth kind of listening to both sides here too, right? And so from a Colorado, Arizona standpoint, right, we went into the series shocked about what the numbers said about Arizona's chance. And what they said was Colorado was going to win this series 52.6% of the time. And I talked about it in the preview with Chris Addit about how from an eye, eye test standpoint, I was going into this b before I even looked at the numbers going like Colorado's like an 80% chance to win this series. And of course, that's my perception of it. And then that's also kind of how the odds were formed, right? Giving Colorado a 73.7% chance on a number like minus 280, right? Which was sort of the best possible number. Numbers higher than that were going up into the 75% and almost the 80% range, right? Once we translate the odds into probabilities. So how did it end up, right? So again, going into the series, we thought Strangely enough, that Arizona actually had the advantage, a tiny minuscule advantage of literally 0 0.036 goals per game, which is just completely negligible. And, you know, to make a difference, we'd literally have to play a thousand games. And you go, you know what, I need to know why that's the case. And the reason is, is, you know, we're basing a lot of this stuff on regular season conversion rates, right? So from a power play standpoint, Colorado was 19.1% on their power play. Arizona was 19.2%. Arizona actually in the regular season had a better power play than Colorado. And they had a better penalty kill. Arizona's penalty kill was 17.3%. Colorado's was 18.5%. So if you're going to, you know, have a little bit better, uh, I mean, just tiny better power play over the course of the regular season and a, you know, decently better and pretty good penalty kill at 17.3%, that's going to translate into a theoretically better special teams advantage, right? And again, obviously some flawed numbers there apparently but that's 70 games worth of action here against a pretty even schedule right so knowing what we know okay well based on how many power plays were given out in this series what was the result there and the result ended up being Colorado got so many more power plays and again, probably because they dominated possession and the run of play. This isn't a complaint. It's just the facts that Colorado was expected to get 3.64 goals and Arizona was expected to get 2.82 goals, right? So about a 0.8 goal differential here for uh, Colorado. What was their result? Well, the actual difference in power play, you know, special teams goals was Colorado had 1.2 goals per game 
more than Arizona. So that's a ton. That is going to be by far the highest uh, advantage that anybody had. And obviously, this series was sort of a tale of two series, right? That first three games where everything was played really tightly uh, to the vest here, and Kemper was great. And, you know, Arizona had a chance to win game two, really had a chance to win all three games, but especially game two, and then in fact, won game three, and then game, you know, four and five was just a complete literal avalanche of goals here. And so that's obviously has a ton to do with the point 1.2 uh, goals per game more than uh, than Arizona, which obviously in a five-game series, right, extrapolates out to they literally had six more goals in a five-game series just on special teams. And so because we handicap everything based on five-on-five, five, because again, who was going to be able to predict that Colorado would have that much of an advantage? I'm sure some, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, they have a good power play, blah, blah, blah. But you're not basing that on facts, right? You're not basing that on any statistics that happen from the regular season. You're just kind of doing it based off of, you know, name brand talent, right? And in this case, it worked out for you. So, you know, kudos to you for doing that. But again, it was a flawed sort of concept. Now, from a five-on-five standpoint, Colorado's expected, based on how many, you know, high-danger scoring chances and whatnot, their expected goals for five-on-five was 9.6. Arizona's was 6.34, which is about a 60%, you know, weight for Colorado. High danger chances is actually a little bit less. It's about 58 and a half. So overall, from a run of play scoring chance standpoint, Colorado was 59% to Arizona's 40%. So right there, Colorado's going to win a lot of the series, right? They're literally going to win 60% of the series, which of course translates specifically at 59.4 to 146 as the true number from a five-on-five standpoint. And at that point, you go, okay, we were getting plus 280, plus 300. Again, very similar to Chicago where you go, okay, that's great. And, you know, Colorado got there as the 60% favorite, but we're priced as almost an 80% favorite. And so, again, we're never going to get the opportunity to see these teams play a thousand different series to find out whether Arizona would have won 41 percent of them right 410 of the thousand series that's never going to happen um but again the facts remain right scoring chances all of that stuff lends itself to the fact that these teams you know weren't all that far off as they necessarily seemed right and so the expected goals for five on five was 9.64 for Colorado and 6.34 for Arizona. Well, Arizona, 6.34 expected, they got five goals. So they were pretty unlucky or at least just unsuccessful with regards to converting what their expected number should have been. And even if they had at six, right, that's still considerably lower than Colorado's number. And so we look at Colorado and that 9.64, their actual five on five goals was 14. So they were converting at a rate that frankly is pretty unsustainable in, uh, in a lot of ways here. Right. And so if we're talking about like extrapolating that over a regular season, we're talking about like record level of conversion rate, like 
by far number one in the league. And so, you know, do you attribute that to just Colorado's talent and they're just better, you know, snipers than Arizona? Well, Arizona's Taylor Hall and, and Phil Kessel, who, you know, I think probably just cash and checks at this point, um, you know, and a couple other younger guys who can score a little bit, uh, obviously not to the level of McKinnon, you know, ranting it, and we got a pretty sort of outlier type series from Kadri from a goal scoring standpoint as well. So all in all, you know, something that is a true value at 145 is a pretty good bet at, you know, plus 300, plus 280. Like, you can't really complain about that. And again, if things go a little bit differently in game two, and again, who knows how that changes the series with regards to game three and so on and so forth. But, you know, who knows what what might have happened. Um, But again, those first three games, this was even a lot closer than the 59 to 41 that it sort of ended up being. So again, the 59 gets there this time. Same sort of deal as Vegas with the 63% team getting there. Uh, Tampa Bay and Columbus going into this was, you know, kind of the most interesting series from a math standpoint. I should say maybe not interesting because obviously the Colorado-Arizona discrepancy was something that caught our eye right away, but almost in a different way where we were expecting Tampa Bay to not be as heavily favored as they were uh, in my numbers. And my numbers had them at 67.6%. The odds had them at about 69%. So again, what we thought, you know, before we even looked at the numbers with would be value in Columbus at plus 190, really it wasn't because the true number was 209. And so that kept us off Columbus And, of course, the high price kept us away from Tampa Bay. So what happened in that series? Well, uh, this was the biggest expectation for a discrepancy from a special team standpoint going in because we felt the math said that Tampa Bay would be getting 0.3 goals per game, which at least now gets us into a zone where over the course of four or five games, that at least translates to a goal better Um, on special teams, right? We would at least like over the course of a series to be able to say that this team was one goal better in, you know, over five games, six games, or seven games. Again, from a projection standpoint. From an actuality standpoint, again, based on success or based on how many power plays that they were given and opportunities that they had, Columbus actually should have had a one and a half goal advantage over the course of the series, three and a half to two for Tampa Bay. And of course, Tampa Bay's power play didn't really get anything done. And Columbus actually ended up having a 0.4 goal per game uh, advantage over Tampa Bay here, right? So 0.4 goals per game is pretty significant. Again, over five games, that's at least one goal. And so that sort of works itself out, um, you know, to be meaningful, right? And that's how... Columbus was able to tighten uh, Tampa Bay's edge a little bit because in the expected goals for five on five, 12.46 for Tampa Bay and eight for Columbus. And that actually extrapolated itself well into the actual five on five, you know, 12.4 for Tampa ended up actually being 13 and 8.1 for Columbus actually ended up being eight. So the expected goals for um, ended up being pretty darn close to the actual 
uh, goals for and goals against. And so well, what does that mean as far as sort of a mathematical standpoint? Well, it ended up that based on all of these numbers, power play opportunities, high danger scoring chances, expected goals, that without knowing who scored, Tampa Bay was a 61.7% favorite. Right. So if we had known again, if we had known beforehand that these were the numbers, this is how many power plays were going to be you know, given to each side. This is how many scoring chances each side are going to get. And this is the likelihood of them winning. So the likelihood of them winning, winning was 61.7 percent, which, again, was actually lower than that sort of 69, 67 type range that we had from before the series started. And that's. You know, once you factor in that extra goal for the entire series for Columbus, it actually brings it down to Tampa Bay at 55.6%. And you might be saying, like, actually, that does make a ton of sense because I watched that series and one of the games went to five OTs and the other ones were all basically one goal games or overtime games for that matter. And yeah, that's uh, that's true, right? So this sort of matches the eye test in that you watched this series and you go, okay, sure, you know, five on five Tampa was much better as far as scoring, you know, getting scoring chances is concerned. But in the end, this thing was a lot more coin flippy than we kind of thought it was going to be. And of course, 55% means that the true number after knowing what we know was about 125. So it ended up being good value on Columbus at plus, you know, 150 before the series started here, or sort of game to game. Actually, sorry, excuse me, it was plus 190 from a series standpoint, and game to game plus 150. So again, before the series started, we thought that the value had been, you know, our eye test would have said, yeah, Columbus, there's good value at plus 190. The numbers indicated that that wasn't actually the case. And then after they played it out, it proved actually the eye test that or our instinct or however you want to frame it that we were right with thinking that Columbus had a chance um, relative to the odds now in this case again the 55% team won the series and so again you can take all that value stick it in your pocket but it's not going to buy you lunch tomorrow and so uh, that's too bad but again these are the kinds of things you just kind of have to deal with, right? And so again, we've got a team in Vegas that was a 63% chance to win the series based on after the fact information, and they go and do it. Colorado was a 59% chance to win the series, and they get that done. And Tampa Bay was a 55% chance, and they get that done. And so you go, okay, literally the favorites are, you know, shouldn't have been favored by as much as they were but they still won the series. And so you sort of shrug your shoulders and go, oh, okay, that's fine. From a sort of bankroll management and betting standpoint, steered clear from Chicago, check mark, uh, you know, lost a unit on Arizona, you know, not ideal, and stayed away from Tampa and Columbus, added a you know, half unit to Columbus sort of as the series progressed. And again, we're talking about hindsight here. We're using hindsight to figure out that Columbus had a 44.4% chance to win that series. And we were getting them at like plus 225 when the series was even and even a little bit higher, I think it was 400, 500, something like that when they were down two to one. And again, a couple of things go a little bit differently and maybe the 44.4% 
team would have actually won this specific series, but they didn't. And that's the kind of thing that we sign up for when we do this. So um, let's move it along to the next series, Boston and Carolina. Again, this is one of three that had Carolina, the underdog, you know, the underdog getting a slight, ever tiny, so slight advantage going in from a special team standpoint. Well, that did not bear out at all, right? And so again, when I say tiny, I mean literally Carolina had a 0.05 goals per game advantage, uh, theoretically five on five. Well, after seeing all of the power plays, right? Add up all the power plays and the discrepancy between the two and Boston should have had 3.9 goals to Carolina's 2.28 goals. And of course, that's a pretty big discrepancy for Boston. And that ended up bearing out in and then some with Boston actually getting 0.6 goals per game more than Carolina, which obviously in a five game series is three full goals. And so right there, you know, you're in trouble when you're giving up three goals over the course of a five game series to, uh, you know, to your opponent, which, you know, again, even supersedes the 1.7 that even the expected number would indicate based on how many power play goal, power play opportunities were given up. And so you go, okay, right there, you're in trouble, right? Well, from a five-on-five five standpoint, what's the story? Well, the story from a five-on-five point standpoint was Boston had 8.15 expected goals five-on-five, five, and Carolina had 6.7 expected goals five-on-five, five, which, again, not a huge discrepancy there, 54.9%. Boston had a few extra chances from a high danger standpoint to get up to 56%. So all in all, about a 56% rate, the number should have been 127. That's the true number, five on five, right? Once you factor in the fact that that Boston had, you know, 0.6 goals per game uh, advantage on the special teams, now it rises up to 57.3. So looking back on it, Boston had a 57.3% chance of winning that series based on how it all played out. And of course, that extrapolates to the true number of 134, right? So going into the series, the number based on the odds, right, was pretty much exactly bang on. And kudos to the odds makers for that. But Boston, at the sort of best number that we could find, was minus 135, which is, again, pretty much bang on the number that we project after the fact. Uh, Carolina was anywhere from plus 122 up to plus 145, right? And so, again, looking back on it, if we had gotten Carolina at plus 125, that's a bad bet, even in hindsight. But we got them at plus 145, which, again, not a huge edge, but at least is a pretty good bet relative to how it all shook down and ended up with it being a more 134, right? So we got a little bit better than our actual number. But again, the percentages played out in a literal way where the 57, you know, percent chance of of Boston winning ended up actually coming to fruition. Again, we play that series out a bunch more times, especially when the fact that Rask left the series, you go, all right, you know, maybe Sveshnikov doesn't get hurt. You know, obviously, you know, if you play that series a thousand times, Rask leaves the series a thousand times because that was a personal decision on his point. But if you play that series out a thousand times, Svechnikov doesn't get injured 
every single time, right? He, he probably gets an injury a few times. So maybe somebody else gets injured a few times. Maybe Aho gets injured a few times. Obviously, Boston was without Pasternak, so that probably for at least a chunk of it. And that, you know, factors into, you know, the overall numbers and stuff like that, right? There was a ton of moving parts in literally in and out of the lineup here with Boston and Carolina. But based on everything that happened in this one series, Boston should have been a 57.3% favorite. They were a 57.4% favorite in sort of the best number. And so you sort of shrug your shoulders and go, okay, odds makers are right on. And, you know, that's, you know, that's okay, right? Like that's their job. And then it played out on the ice, you know, from a percentages standpoint to be exactly the same. Our numbers before the series started was more of a 52.6, right? 52.6 to 47.4 for Carolina, which, you know, made that number for, you know, in our opinion, a lot better off. Now, obviously, it ended up being 57% instead of 52.6. So, you know, that's not an ideal number for us. We don't want our number to be that far off, especially on a series that is that close to pick them, right? It can be off by 5% when we're talking about you know, the Arizona, Colorado series of the world, right? The Chicago's and the Vegas's, right? Because there's a bigger uh, discrepancy in general there. But when you're talking about sort of coin flip type series, and again, when I say coin flip, I mean things around 55%, right? We would like to think that we can be a little bit closer uh, from an expectation standpoint, but we also didn't factor in, and there was no way to factor in that Boston would have a, you know, special teams advantage the way that they did, right? Because in the regular season, you know, Boston's power play was very good, but so was Carolina's, right? 25% versus 22%. And Boston's, you know, penalty kill uh, was good and Carolina's was as well. And so, you know, again, uh, there's no way to know that it was going to be that heavily influenced one way or another. Uh, so let's move on to the next series and let's get into Washington and the Islanders here. And so this one is particularly interesting because it's the first one where the underdog actually won the series. And so our numbers beforehand made it 55-45 essentially uh, for Washington but the odds indicated a 60% rate of, you know, return, so to speak, for Washington. And if you'll recall, I was like, that's not as much of an edge as I hoped for. That's not as much as of an edge mathematically as I would have liked to seen. I would have liked to see it be more 50-50 because we weren't getting, you know, obviously a great number. Uh, you know, we got plus 130 with the Islanders and, you know, that wasn't a ton of value uh, from an edge standpoint, that said, from sort of an eye test anecdotal standpoint, I was looking to fade Washington kind of no matter what and looking to back the Islanders kind of no matter what. And so um, it pushed me over the edge from a betting standpoint um, just from doing that. And so, you know, we go into this series and the expectation from a, you know, again, everything that we know from power plays given out is that the Islanders should have had a small advantage, right? 3.8 to 3.4 uh, over the course of this series. That said, Washington actually had the advantage um, with one more goal than the Islanders had on special teams, right? And of course, that's factoring in both power play and shorthanded goals. So the actual goals in, in short in shorthanded and power play circumstance uh, 
were in favor of Washington. And, you know, that's a little bit surprising. But then you realize that their actual five-on-five goals, Washington had three. Three. And their expectation was closer to six, 5.93. So they were not converting five-on-five. And on the flip side, the Islanders had a expected goals for of eight. And they scored 11. So right there, you know that um, obviously the Islanders won the series and won and won it, you know, pretty convincingly. And so, you know, when we work out the math here, Washington from a five on five standpoint was actually a minus 163 uh, under, sorry, a plus 163 underdog in the series. Right. So, again, if we had known what we had known about the five on five play, the fair number would have been 163 in favor of the Islanders. Right. So we, if we had known what we know now, we would have absolutely obliterated the Islanders plus 130. That would have been a massive edge. Now, that edge was cut because of how good Washington was uh, from a special team standpoint. Right. And that sort of evened things out here a little bit when it comes to the overall expected goals for the entire series. And it made it closer to 56 percent for the Islanders and 44% for Washington. So, you know, why is why are those numbers familiar? Well, it's because it was actually the reverse going into the series, right? So the Islanders literally reversed them entirely uh, and exactly to a point of 56 to 44 uh, for, the, for Washington going in, and then it ended up being the Islanders that should have been favored by that much. Uh, and of course, that equals out to about 125 as a true number. So the true number for this series, based on everything we know, five on five and special teams, is 125. And that's 125 in the, as the Islanders being favored. So again, if we had known from that standpoint, we would have hammered the Islanders even harder than we already did. But again, such is life. Uh, so, but you know, that being said, the Islanders won that series, you know, they didn't win it at a 55% rate. They won the series at an 80% rate. They won 80% of the games and really outside of essentially one good period for Washington, uh, in the game four, you know, really, really dominated that series across the board. Uh, so yeah, again, we, you know, we won the series. That's great. Uh, but if we had sort of, you know, had the time machine, nobody told us how many goals were actually scored. They just told us what the expectation of goals would have been. We would have absolutely just destroyed uh, the Islanders, just dumping cash onto them. Uh, as for the sixth and final series that has been completed, and this one is interesting because of the, you know, we talked about it all week, the change in our opinion of the series. And so Calgary and Dallas going in, we loved Calgary. And, you know, tons of reason two, and they win game one, and they do so, you know, pretty convincingly, at least from sort of a run of play standpoint, right? It's essentially the only game, I believe, of the series where they had a higher expectation, uh, higher expected goals than Dallas did, right? And so my numbers going in made Calgary a 54.5% favorite, obviously at about even money, um, betting on Calgary at 50%, you know, there's an edge there of about, you know, four plus percent. And so we bet on Calgary and then Matthew Kachuk gets hurt. And so, you know, Obviously, from a anecdotal, situational standpoint, we go, okay, he's literally the most important player on Calgary, uh, and he does so much. And it's worth mentioning, and I'll probably reiterate it over the course of the next whoever knows how many months, years, or whatever, but, you know, there are players who affect 
their own team. And the only guys who matter on a hockey team are the guys who either affect the rest of their team or they affect the other team, right? And so obviously goaltending affects or, you know, can affect both, right? That goes without saying. But I mean, from a skater's standpoint, how many guys would it take before you go, I don't care whether this guy's out of the lineup or not, it's not going to affect the actual betting line and it's not going to affect the probability of them winning a, you know, a game or a short, you know, five, seven game series, right? Well, on Calgary, I would say Matthew Kachuk, if he's not the most important, because probably I suppose Mark Giordano is maybe the, probably the most important because of everything else that else, you know, that happens, right? The power play probably is a lot, lot worse. Uh, the defense is a lot worse because everybody has to sort of step, to, you know, to a spot above where they, you know, don't really want to be. But other than Giordano, you know, I certainly think Kachuk does more to affect the rest of his team than your Monahans, your Gaudreau's, et cetera, et cetera. And so not only is affecting your team, he's also affecting the other team, right? Because as much as like a Gaudreau might score a bunch, you know, he's not, people on the other team aren't thinking of him when he's on the ice in at least not in the same way that they do Kachuk, right? And so whatever, we switch sides, we realize that Dallas is the right side here going forward. So based on what we know now, you know, is that true, right? Would we make that bet again? And the answer is yes. And again, pre-series, the expectation was Calgary with a very, very slight advantage on special teams, negligible at 0.07 per game, uh, not, you know, not worth it. Uh, based on all of what, you know, the power plays and stuff that came out of it, Dallas actually had a, you know, one third of a goal advantage. Calgary actually converted and because of actually, it's not even really power plays converted. It's really more the special teams, the shorthanded goals that Calgary scored. They actually ended up with a special teams advantage of one third of a goal per game, right? Six game series. And, you know, they had two more goals on special teams than Dallas did. And that's reflected in the shorthanded goals, not actually the power play goals. So that's going to cut sort of Dallas's edge there. So you go to the five on five and Dallas was expected to get 11.2 goals and Calgary 8.77. Well, Calgary 8.77, they actually scored nine five on five. So they scored about as many as they deserved, right? Dallas scored 14, so three more, or slightly less than three more goals than they deserved. And it doesn't take much to kind of figure out where that was, because whether it was the first game, you know, way long ago, people forget that Calgary had two sick goals in the first period to go up 2 nothing, and had a lead erased on two of the softest goals that you can find. And then, of course, it was a soft goal festival in game six as you know calgary's goaltending just completely fell apart so in a way it's actually surprising that it's only a three goal discrepancy based on what dallas was sort of expected to get um but that's where that came from right that's you know it was goaltending that let them down there relative to their expectation now even if the goaltending had been good or at least average right 11 goals uh, over the course of six games 
would have made it about an even Steven type of series, right? 11 to nine versus, you know, two extra goals for Calgary on the special teams. So again, that would have been about even, but it wasn't because Calgary's goaltending wasn't good enough. And what all of that sort of equaled out to was a 55% chance of Dallas winning that series, again, based on everything that we know uh, that happened in that series, right? And that's, of course, with, you know, s- you know statistics that were with Matthew Kachuk in the first couple of games and then without him in the last four games. And so, you know, what does that equal out to? That equals out to a true number of 122. So again, if we had been told about what happened with regards to uh, the special teams, how many power plays were given out, and if we were told what the expected goals for were, and you know, and then what uh, you know, the odds would be Calgary plus 122, uh, Dallas minus 122. And again, before the series started, obviously it was pretty much a coin flip type odds, right? And so even before the series started, based on what we know now, that would have been a good bet, right? It becomes an even better bet at the prices that we were able to get them after game two, and then of course, after that game three. That game three was in many ways a godsend, right? Calgary winning that game, a game that they had sort of no business winning, um, you know, being outplayed and outchanced, et cetera, throughout that game, but getting a shorthanded goal, getting, you know, sort of another goal that was a little bit soft, and, you know, that allowed us to get a really good price on Dallas. And, you know, this stuff became predictive, right? It became predictive after you watch them play in game three. You go, man, I really think they win game four. And even that game ended up way closer than it needed to be. And then things started to work itself out over games five and six. And even game six last night, right? Calgary takes the three nothing lead and you go, wow, they're playing like their hair's on fire, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, we got to play 60 minutes in a game here, and it just got to a point where between the poor goaltending and Dallas just being, uh, you know, that the this version of Dallas versus this version of Calgary being that much better, the sort of cream rose to the top over the course of that 60 minutes. And of course, again, helped that Calgary's goaltending was atrocious. And so those are the six series that are done here. Um, obviously, some positives, a lot of positives, right? Whether it was minimizing losses with Arizona, um, or specifically, you know, not getting suckered into Chicago, um, you know, probably should have made a bet on Columbus, didn't, and then got away with it, right? So that's sort of, you know, a bit of a, you know, weird sort of way to put it, but it's kind of true. Um, and then the Boston Carolina one, whatever, that was, you know, from a number standpoint, the number we got was the number that ended up being, right, from a probability standpoint, and it just didn't go our way, Uh, and, you know, again, we can obviously blame sort of the massive turning point that was game four, the third period of game four, and again, that's sports, we shrug our shoulders on that one, Um, you know, New York, again, we wish we had done more with that, that's not just hindsight in who won the series, but sort of how convincingly they won the series, Um, but again, there was no way to know that the odds should have been completely reversed in that series, right? It would have been really cool for me to say the wrong team's favored and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's the best I can do is tell you I'm betting on the Islanders here. Uh, I don't care that we're not getting as much of an edge as, you know, we were supposed to. But we move forward and, you know, there's still two series left. And we just talked about series that went five, six games here. 
and you know talked about that sort of as gospel from a you know numbers accumulation standpoint but unfortunately those series are over and there's kind of nothing we can do about that however we got two series that have played five games on either side and so now we can talk about these series while still having a chance to make bets on these series so let's start off with st louis and vancouver st louis um obviously stanley cup champions but going into this series we thought of this as much more of a sort of coin flip type of type of series and uh i had my numbers cranked out 51.5 percent chance of st louis winning this series which equated to a fair number of 106 right minus 106 for St. Louis, plus 106 for Vancouver. What were the actual odds that were given to us? Plus 184 was the number I was able to get on Pinnacle. A lot of plus 160, plus 175. In all of those cases, that was incredible value for Vancouver. It was then. And so obviously they're up 3-2. So we're loving our position where we are now. And you know, that being said, what's happened in this first five games and what was the number if, again, we had known everything that we know now about scoring chances and power play opportunities, knowing what we know now, what would have been the proper number for this series? And, of course, was there any value? Well, I don't have to tell you that, obviously, there's <laughs> the number is going to come down, way down to where Vancouver was is, again, still, you know, the value play, right? It was the value play then, it's the value play now, like there's... The, the bet has been made. The bet was good. Uh, no matter what happens, it was a good bet. It might not win. St. Louis could win these next two games. That would be entirely possible. And we'll sort of talk about why that's possible and, you know, why it might not be possible. So, again, going into this series, Vancouver had the slightest of advantages from a special team standpoint. Um, based on the amount of power plays and everything that's happened, they should have about a 0.8 goal, uh, you know, differential. Uh, and that's over the course of the entire series. What they actually have is a 0.6 goal differential per game, right? A five-game series, that's three more goals thanks to their uh, special teams than do the uh, Blues. And so obviously right there, that's going to make quite a dent from a special team standpoint Again, not overly predictable, but that's the case, you know, now that we've seen what we've seen. Uh, from a five-on-five five standpoint, St. Louis actually has had the advantage, uh, about 9.95 from an expected goal standpoint, and the Canucks at 8.09. So essentially 10 to 8 expected from a five-on-five. Five. The actual number, actual real-life goals that happened, 8.8. Five on five. So dead straight up even. Um, the number for Vancouver right on the money there, which of course sort of shows um, average level of conversion, average level of goaltending, right? No sort of massive outliers. For St. Louis, they have two less goals than they should have had five on five. Well, it's not going to take much to figure that out. We've seen Jakob Markstrom stand on his head and make some absolutely outrageous saves. And those have accumulated it to a two-goal discrepancy, right? He has given, you know, he essentially taken away from St. Louis two goals over the course of this series that they should have scored, right? And obviously he's made many more saves that were incredible um, just 
but once it's all added up from a percentage of chance of saving them, it's actually equaled up to two goals. And that's kind of ridiculous. And, um, you know, St. Louis hasn't exactly had a ton of, you know, um, empty nets that they've missed. They haven't had, you know, goal posts galore. It's been an almost entirely Markstrom making the difference here on these five on fives. And so because the expectation has been you know, at a 10 to 8 level or a 55% level here for St. Louis, they actually should be favored in this series uh, on a game-to-game macro level. Now, that's not a ton. It's actually minus 109 for St. Louis and plus 109 for Vancouver. Why does that sound oddly familiar? Before the series started, my numbers were minus 106 and plus 106. So it's actually lined up again, very similar to that, what, first series that we talked about, or was it the second series? I don't even remember. Um, But it's another one that's lined up dead straight up with how we projected it going into the series, which is awesome. Awesome news, right? And, you know, especially considering, you know, it led us to a Vancouver series bet, Talked about how I was uncomfortable with it as a historically uh, historically a Vancouver fan. But that's the reality of both beforehand and after the fact is that, you know, St. Louis is about uh, 52% good for this series, right? When you factor in, obviously, the special teams, uh, the significant special teams advantage that Vancouver's been able to use, right? Uh, so that being said, on a game-to-game basis, right, if St. Louis has a 52% chance to win any, you know, random game, that plus 109 for Vancouver, minus 109 for St. Louis would be the fair number. And again, we're still not getting that from a game-to-game basis here, as, you know, we talked about Vancouver at plus 120 is worth hitting it over and over and over again. And, you know, right now you're getting a lot of plus 115s, and, and I, you know, there may still be a plus 120 out there. Um, so again, from a number standpoint, it hasn't adjusted as far as it's needed to, you know, relative to sort of what, um, you know, the odds should be, right? Uh, it's not a huge advantage, right? So like, you know, use plus 115 as an example, plus 115 versus, you know, 106, 109, you know, whichever one you still sort of believe in. Obviously, I'm going to believe in more the updated number of 109. So 115 over 109, right? Like that's relatively negligible. Um, but obviously, hindsight looking back and seeing you know series prices of plus 180, plus 185, right? That was always that was the wrong price before. And even with everything that we know now, is way way off uh, of the wrong price. Now that being said, because we have this series bet. And we've split the last two, right? We stayed off in game three. We're on them game one, game two. We stayed off in game three. And we split the last two games, uh, four and five. So because we split them, we ended up, you know, making a little bit more profit, right? A 20, you know, plus 20 profit. And uh, so I can see why you wouldn't maybe not want to bet this game, right? Like, I completely understand that. I probably won't myself because just as sort of, again, the fandom creeps in, remember, understanding our biases, the fandom creeps in and I go, you know what? It's not worth trying to grab that extra unit for this game. I'd rather just not have to deal with a game seven on Sunday, right? That's It's worth it for me to not want to have to deal with it. If game seven comes around, 
And, you know, I, I have saved a unit by not betting the Canucks in game six, then I will use that unit saved and throw it on the Canucks and go, all right, like, here we go. Let's get let's get nuts out here. Um, so you can go ahead and just assume that's the case for Sunday, uh, though I'll probably reiterate um, come Sunday. And so, again, that's pretty much the story with St. Louis and Vancouver and how I'm playing it going forward. And now we finish with, to me, just the absolute most fun one across the board here. Philadelphia and Montreal. So let's just backtrack a little bit and talk about what where we were before the series started with Philadelphia and Montreal, right? And I talked about how even before the Pittsburgh series, you know, thinking that Montreal was going to beat Pittsburgh, I wanted to see Philadelphia because I sort of considered them the best route for Montreal to get to the next round where we can at least start considering hedging off of 49 to 1 to win the East. And so my numbers were disappointing to me a little bit in that it was a 62.5% chance that Philadelphia wins the series. The odds that we were given extrapolated out to about a 67.9, so say 68% chance. And so yes, there was some value on Montreal at you know 37.5 on my in my ledger and 33% on the odds ledger you know that's a little bit of value and certainly worth a play it wasn't the exciting number that i was hoping it was going to be you know similar to montreal and pittsburgh and so you know we grabbed a unit and you know blah 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 and then we watched the series play out and if you've watched every minute of the series you know that there's absolutely nothing in between these two teams right they are extremely similar both sort of in, um, you know, maybe not necessarily style per se, because Montreal certainly the faster team, um, but they're both just kind of good at the same stuff and kind of bad. Obviously, goaltending is a, is a significant uh, issue for both teams, and I don't mean in a bad way. I just mean that it's prominently involved, um, you know, on each side. And so we go in and we go, okay, well, what, what have we learned over the course of these five games, right? How is it all added up? And Philadelphia had, again, a tiny advantage going in from a special team standpoint at .104. After finding out how many power plays have been taken and whatnot, especially a five-minute jobby, the Flyers should have about five power play goals relative to Montreal's 3.2. They don't. Believe it or not, and this is entirely because of that shorthanded goal, Montreal actually has had the special team's advantage. And that's literally to the tune of one goal different. And, it, you know, you can say whichever goal you want it to be, but the one shorthand goal in this entire series um, is the difference right now with Montreal, you know, getting that goal. So one goal over five games, which of course is 0.2 goals per game. But that one goal is the difference so far. Now, the interesting part, from a five-on-five standpoint, Montreal's expected goals for is nine. Philadelphia's 6.39, all right? That isn't me cooking up a narrative. That isn't me just sort of making up an opinion. That's the actual numbers. These are facts. This is black and white, right? Nine to 6.39, which of course, five-on-five five means that Montreal is for our books, right? The purposes of winning games, the better team. And let's throw in the high danger chances. 40 for Montreal to 21 for Philly, five on five. 
that's an even bigger discrepancy. And so you sort of average all of those out. And what you get here is that from a five on five, if all they did was play five on five and you know everybody had the expected average level of conversion, Montreal would be a minus 163 favorite. Again, not there's nothing made up here. These are the numbers. These are the facts. Montreal on five on five, from a scoring chance standpoint, should be favored minus 163, Philadelphia plus 163. Here's the problem. Montreal is atrocious at converting the chances that they get, right? We saw it in games, what, three and four in getting shut out, and Carter Hart got a lot of credit for that. But the reality was there was a ton of missed empty nets, missed open sides, missed uh, or hit struck posts, right? I made the joke that they could, you know, we could remix Flight of the Bumblebee, the symphony, with just the pucks hitting the post for Montreal in this series. And so you go, okay, the actual five-on-five goals. Like, remember, Philadelphia 6.39 expected. Their actual four. Now, again, you go, well, why is there a discrepancy there? And I would say that as much as we've sort of given Carey Price a hard time for game four, the discrepancy there is the goaltending of Carey Price, right? Even if you're just thinking back to the miraculous paddle save that he made, you know, earlier in the series, right? There has been a ton of them where that's been the difference. The crazy number though is Montreal, again, expected to have nine even strength goals, have just Five even strength goals. Now, if you've been following along here, not that you've been writing this stuff down, but a four goal discrepancy is by far the biggest discrepancy, high, low, however you want to go, um, of any of these. I mean, Colorado had a discrepancy of four plus on the high side, I suppose. So it's really just, you know, on the low side, nobody has underachieved from a converting scoring chances level the way Montreal has. And so when you say, well, Philly's up three to two in the series, they were up three to one in the series. My response would be like, yeah, because Montreal can't convert the chances they're getting. And again, is this a systemic problem with them over the course of the last two years? And the answer is, yeah, like over the course of the last two years, they've been terrible at converting their chances, right? And we all we've ever wanted out of Montreal is just convert at a league average, median, however you want to put it, rate, and they would be winning this series. They probably would have won the series already because again, and it doesn't take much, you're probably sitting there on your couch watching these games and going nodding your head right now because you're like, yeah, they miss so many chances. It's ridiculous. And, you know, a couple of soft goals in game four for Price was probably the difference. And the in game three, there was one goal and it bounced off a guy's arm. So to sit here and say that Philadelphia is a better team would just be disingenuous and completely ignoring all of the facts here. But what's impressive is how much Montreal has been the better team in this. And even still, because Philadelphia should have such an advantage from a special team standpoint, right? Talked about how they should have five goals on special teams and Montreal should only have 3.2 goals on special teams. Philadelphia, like Pittsburgh, is completely blowing it based on their special teams play. 
And so the actual expectation going forward, because we can't rely on Philadelphia to continue to blow this series on special teams, is that the numbers become a lot more even, right? So we expect Montreal to do to be better on five on five, and we have to expect going forward Philadelphia to be better on special teams. Will it end up being too late? Will they be able to make that shift? I don't know. But all of this cranks out to a true number. Again, we talked about the number for just five on five being 163, but the true number is closer to 107 with Montreal favored minus 107 and Philadelphia plus 107. And so that's, again, just power play opportunities, not the conversion because Montreal's had the edge there, um, but the power play opportunities and what the expectation for conversion is. And then, of course, the conversion on the five-on-five scoring opportunities. And so all of that equals up to Montreal being slightly better over the course of this series. And if we're sort of predict, you know, trying to predict things going forward, you know, again, a slight advantage at a level of about 107, or of course, that's about 52%, right? So again, take for what, you know, what it's worth. And you, you know, you might need to factor in the, you know, Niskanen uh, suspension and the Gallagher injury and all of that and how much you know how much stock do you put into that we're not talking about Matthew Kachuk level type stuff but Gallagher does add an element that Montreal you know of course you know needs right and they're better when he's better and so him not being in the lineup here obviously you know probably draws this down closer to a 50-50 game here and of course from an odd standpoint things have changed drastically uh, you know from a game to game uh element here right because now we're looking at philadelphia and montreal montreal plus 117 plus 115 right like people are catching on right last game it was like plus 120 plus 123 was the best number that we were able to grab um you know there's been other plus 115s here too and like maybe it's because of you know the uh last change but earlier on in the series it's plus 126 plus 138 these are the types of numbers we were getting dealt earlier on in this in the series, right? Games one and two were essentially plus 135 was kind of the average number. Well, that plus 135 thing is long gone. And that isn't because, um, you know, that isn't because of any other reason other than odds makers and bettors who crunch these numbers and see what's actually going on sort of, you know, deeper realize that Montreal, if not the better team, is certainly just as good uh, as Philadelphia is when it comes to the things that matter, which is, of course, attempts at scoring goals, right? They're not as good at actually converting. But again, you know, again, we're going to look forward. We're going to see, is Carey, we're going to get the best game out of Carey Price. You get into all this hockey stuff and, you know, there's no way to know. But Unlike the St. Louis-Vancouver one where it's like, yeah, Vancouver should still be the underdog, maybe not quite at the same price that they are now, Montreal should be at least even money here. And we're getting, you know, again, the same sort of price that we're getting for Vancouver. Um, but Montreal relative to Philadelphia is in a better position um, from a game-to-game standpoint. Now, for them to win the series, which would be amazing, they have to essentially win two coin flips in a row because that's what we're dealing with on both of these series, right? We're throwing up coins, you know, Canucks are heads, Blues are tails, and all it takes is two tails and the Canucks will be out. For the Habs, they need two heads to come in a row. And that's not ideal because again, it's not like they're the better team to the degree where, you know, we expect them to win 
you know, both games and do so easily. All I can tell you is from a game to game standpoint, the value right now for Montreal is still very good. Maybe not necessarily the same thing for Vancouver, but I've given you my plan there. So for Montreal, because it isn't a, we need to win one out of the next two, we just need to win the next one. And if we lose the one tonight, we're only losing one unit where there's no responsibility for a game seven. Montreal is still going to be a play for me because the numbers just force you into it where that's not the case for Vancouver. So that's the story as far as all of the math and stuff is con- uh, concerned. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, you know, again, a lot of mathy stuff, but again, hopefully it becomes sort of a predictive thing and it gives you an idea of what, you know, we were talking about beforehand and then how it ends up working out. And, you know, sometimes it goes our way and sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes four favorites all kind of come in, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, it's kind of up to us to decide how much we're going to put on the underdog in each one, right? We were right to think that Chicago had value. We were also right to avoid them like the plague. We were right to think that Columbus had some value and we got the best of the number when we possibly could. It just didn't work out. And, you know, Boston, Carolina, we handicapped pretty much right on the money as far as a percentage is concerned. But again, you know, Boston isn't going to win 57-43. They're going to win one series to nothing. And there's kind of nothing you can do about that. So um, that's it for uh, for this one. We will have uh, Chris Abbott on Monday. He's coming back. Uh, we'll see sort of where we're at as far as, you know, what happened over the weekend. Hopefully the Canucks and... Uh, the Habs, of course, both win tonight and both somehow pull off both of their series. If we do that, we're going to be really pumped. Uh, you know, maybe we get just one out of the two, which I think would result in a small loss over the course of the entire series, which would be fine based on, again, how well the first series went. I'll have to, you know, crunch the numbers and we'll figure it out from there. Uh, but he'll be back for a round two preview where, you know, we'll be getting down to just four series. So it won't be an hour and a half. Uh, hopefully neither will these podcasts for the next, you know, few weeks too. Um, especially once the NBA stuff gets down to a second round, third round, all of that kind of thing. And we'll transition slowly to the NFL. And we're sort of just tippy toeing our way around this NFL start here, right? And it's about time to kind of get down to brass tacks with some of our research and some of our previews and stuff. But I feel like as soon as I'm going to release a preview about a division or, you know, or a handful of teams, then like three guys are going to end up opting out. So I'm kind of, you know, dragging it out as long as possible. And, but we will sort of start talking about it next week, which of course is extremely exciting just from, um, you know, just from an anticipatory standpoint. So um, yeah, that's it for me. Per usual, I'm at authentic on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast, please. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.